0: this this morning both online and in person and uh, we're going to continue a series we've been in for a couple of weeks called the secret of christmas and i've kind of started by saying each week that i really believe this christmas could be one of the most meaningful we have ever had because it seems like after we come through really dark struggles, difficult times, challenging times that the the moments and the people that are most precious to us just kind of like go up a few clicks it's even more precious they mean more to us It, it the times together mean more and i hope and pray that that will be true for you personally and for your family this particular christmas but i really believe that for that to happen we have to truly understand the secret of christmas And so let me talk about the secret of Christmas. The secret of Christmas is all in our response. It's how we respond. It it really, our understanding and really proving that we understand the message of Christmas is that we want to respond with our whole lives to what God's done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And and we talk about, uh, over the last couple of weeks, that going all the way back to the original account of that original, uh, you know, first moment of the original Christmas story, that with Mary and her incredible response, the shepherds and lessons from their life last week and what we learned from them, and then this week we're going to look at a response uh, from a a, a part of the story that doesn't often get much play, very often gets skipped over in terms of the Christmas story. I don't know of any Christmas carols that have been written about this story, uh, but it is one that is very powerful and I think could really be life-changing for us. And it is this moment when Mary and Joseph bring baby Jesus to the temple on the eighth day, according to the law, to be circumcised. And when they get to the temple, they meet this man named Simeon. We're told that Simeon is devout and righteous And here's another interesting fact that we're given about Simeon, is that he has, the Holy Spirit is heavy on this man, and he has been told and promised by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he sees the Messiah, the anointed one of God. So when he sees Mary and Joseph carrying baby Jesus, he does something he has never done before in his life, and it astounds Mary and Joseph. They marvel at it. Let's take a look together from Luke chapter 2, verse 28. It says, Simeon looked at him, took him in his arm, him being Jesus, took him in his arms, and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. Now notice this: a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. He's saying that this Savior that's prepared in the sight of all nations is going to be both for a light to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. In other words, this Savior isn't just for the Jews, but for the non-Jews, the Gentiles too, all of us who grew up non-Jewish. He says that he is a Savior, in other words, for the whole world, for everybody. He's available to everybody. This is an incredible moment. And in the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now, as you might see... No Christmas carols written about that one right there, but um, it is an important and powerful part of the Christmas story. It tells us a lot about why did Jesus come, and maybe more importantly for you and I, how are we to respond to his coming? Now last week, we looked at the fact that the angels came to the shepherds, And they came announcing Jesus' birth, his coming, saying that he's bringing peace to the earth. God is bringing peace to the earth. And we talked about this peace, meaning the end of warfare. The end of warfare between human hearts and God. That's what Jesus came to bring, is a ceasefire to that warfare. But it's not that easy. We're gonna look at this week as we dive a little deeper into understanding how do we attain this peace that God came to bring through his son, Jesus Christ. How do we do that? Because there's a process here. In other words, there is a process to peace. And that's what this this sword that he's talking about there is. And a sword will be in your soul too. There's a sword that's involved in this. So let me explain it this way. If a surgeon was gonna bring peace to your body and you have a tumor, how is the surgeon gonna go about it? the surgeon is going to have to spill your blood, right? The surgeon, You're gonna to have to go under the knife and the surgeon's gonna to have to cut you open, right? That's how they remove a tumor. This is how it's done. Now think about a therapist. If you, a therapist, if she's going to try to help someone who is in deep depression, well, many times therapists will sit down and say, let's talk about the trauma that you've been through. Let's bring up some really hard to talk about emotions and feelings and memories, stuff that you don't want to relive, but it's part of the healing process to get you healthy. You got to go through it. In both situations, both with the surgeon and with a therapist, oftentimes they got to make you feel worse before you feel better. You know, they've got to take you through a process to get your body to a place of peace, or that you get to a place of health through this process. And I tell you that to say that this very much, in a beautiful way, symbolizes what the sword of Jesus is all about. This is what it's about, is that the sword of Jesus is really about the conflict, spiritually, that his coming brings to us, but through the conflict can bring incredible peace. The sword of Jesus means conflict. Now let me show you how Jesus really actually reiterates what Simeon had prophesied about him when he was just a baby. Later in Jesus' adult ministry, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, here's what Jesus says. He says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a, let's say it together, but a, a sword. Now, what on earth is Jesus talking about here? This seems to contradict the whole Christmas story. Well, what Jesus is saying, he's not inciting violence. He's not saying, go out and take the streets with swords. That is not what he's talking about. But what he is saying is that I didn't come to bring some kind of superficial peace that just glosses over the differences, specifically the differences between those who call themselves my followers, Christ follower Christians, and those who are not. I didn't come to just gloss that. There is a difference Jesus is showing us that if you choose to follow him, it will cause some conflicts in your life. It caused conflicts for his life. He was a polarizing figure, to be sure. No doubt about that. But that when we choose to follow Jesus Christ that there's going to, it's going to bring some things up. So let's talk about that a little bit. Jesus brings conflict both among people and within people. He's going to bring conflicts when you start to follow him. And if you're considering becoming a Christian, this is so important for you to understand. You need to know this is a part of the spiritual battle and conflict that is going to happen inside of you, is that there is going to be conflict both among us And there's going to be conflict within us. So let's talk about these two. Both of them are extremely important. First, let's talk about the conflict among you. Among you. Going back to the verse of Scripture, verse 34 of chapter 2 of Luke, chapter 2, where Simeon says about Jesus Jesus will cause the falling and rising of many and to be a sign that will be spoken against. In other words, as I said, Jesus will be polarizing. He's gonna cause conflicts, and if you align your life with him, then do not be surprised if it brings conflicts to you as well, because that's the kind of, he, he even tells us throughout the gospels that they first hated me, they disowned me, they'll disown you. They, they they mistreated me, they may, they're going to probably mistreat you. No servant is greater than his master. He, he was very clear about this. Over and over he teaches this, right? So what does that mean for us? What this means for us is that when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, like that is a serious, life-encompassing, all-surrendering decision. He says it ought to cause some major Transition and differences in your life. Not because you're, you're undergoing some kind of behavior modification that you're doing yourself, but that you are surrendering yourself to the Spirit of God. It's gonna change you so much that the people who are closest to you, like your, your family and your friends, are going to notice. They're going to say things to you. Right? When you're around your family and you're like really taking it serious, following Jesus, like they're going to say things to you sometimes that may not always be nice. They may be kind of derogatory things because you're making them feel uncomfortable. You're changing. And people don't always like changing. There's an old saying that said, the only one that likes changing is a dirty, diapered baby. Okay, That's the only people that like change. Everybody else does not like change. They're going to say something to you, and it's going to cause some conflict. And we've got to be careful in those moments that we don't act like a self-righteous jerk to our families. And some of you are about to be around your family, and you're thinking, oh yeah, oh Lord, please help me. I'm about to be around my family. I don't lose my Christianity around my family. Um, trust me, I'm a, a pastor, and I've, there's, I have the same struggle sometimes around some of my family. I love them, but it's hard sometimes. But he's saying there ought to be a difference. There ought to be a difference. That you let your family know I love you, and I am for you, but you need to know the first priority of my life is God now. First priority of my life, as well as your friendship circle. Who are the people that you draw closest to you? Sociologists say that we are the sum total of the five closest friends in our life. That you, you tend not to be the most spiritual, but you're not the least spiritual. You're not the most, you're the highest earner. You're not the lowest earner. You're somewhere in the middle. You're not probably not the most intellectual of your five closest friends. You're not the, the lowest. You're usually an average somehow. So. When someone becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, then you want to intentionally incorporate people closest to you that also are passionate about following Jesus Christ because it in turn will allow you and encourage you to actually grow faster and closer to him by having that person closer. But by nature of you drawing a new person close to you, it will probably cause another person to have more distance from you. You don't love them less, you haven't stopped wanting to be their friend, but it's just by nature of the sociological way, dynamic of the way we're made, we only have so many connection points, and time in the day we can give, it's going to cause some conflicts in our life. And if you're a single person and you're dating, this fellowship of Jesus should, it should uh, inform and instruct the way you date. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Paul says that when you're a follower of Jesus, that you should not yoke yourself together. It's an Old Testament or a New Testament word of, uh, of this idea of, of, of the yoke was put over the oxen as they plowed the field, but it was a way of connecting yourself intentionally, um, harnessing yourself to the people who are closest to you. You shouldn't pull yourself close to people who are not believers. Do do not share this worldview and this priority of God. You can love everybody, you should love everybody, care for people, absolutely, but the closest comrades and closest, like ladies, your closest girlfriends, guys, your closest buddy, those ought to be people who love Jesus. They're, they're concerned about living for him and it will radically shape and accelerate your walk with him. So, in your dating relationship, that ought to inform who you date. Do they love Jesus? Do they follow him? Do they know him? And if you're a Christian and you're in a relationship with somebody who's not a Christian, and through the conversations with this person, you find out, no, they're not interested. And they don't really have any desire for Jesus. They don't want to be in a relationship with him. Then it becomes important in that moment, that you need to understand that there needs to be a conflict, there needs to be a breaking, it doesn't mean you stop liking them, stop being their friend, you just stop dating them, right? you take some time, and you know what I've seen, this is really fascinating, sometimes, not always, I'll be clear, I'm not giving a guarantee here, but sometimes when people break up like that, it gives the other person some time to reflect, say, wow, that means so much to her, maybe I need to give it another look, that means so much to him, maybe I need to give it another look. They, it causes them to actually open up to God. Now, sometimes it can cause bitterness and they turn their back, and I get that, it happens sometimes. But many times, sometimes I've seen people actually open up and start their own personal relationship with the Lord, and later those two people might get back together. Now, it doesn't always happen like that, but sometimes it does. But there needs to be a sense in which I'm choosing this because I see and understand the gospel of Jesus for me, and not I'm trying to do this to please you. You see, there's a difference there. And so, this is important, that when you start walking with Jesus, there's gonna be times it's gonna cause conflicts. Not just in family and friends, but even in the workplace. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you ought to be seen as somebody different in the work environment, pardon me, than maybe you did before that you are a person of integrity, honesty, especially if you're in a line of work where you do sales, that you are not willing to be dishonest in order to gain a profit. You're not willing to sacrifice your faith in Jesus for money, right? We're not willing to do that. We're going to be honest. We're going to be brutally honest. We're going to be people of integrity, and that if you're a manager or you're, you're someone who is over other people in, in the, uh, the, the leadership structure of your company, that, that means that even as a leader, that you hold other people in a loving way, you hold them accountable for also being people of integrity, that you need to do that, that we are going to tell the truth and we're going to do the right thing and we're going to be honest. Right? And when you do that, you're probably going to get some pushback from other people. You may get chastised by some other people. But do not respond to them, you know, with an argumentative, you know, in your face, self righteous, judgmental. No. Be gracious. Be kind. Be patient. Be compassionate. And and don't let your lack of Christian behavior be the thing that people start. Um, being frustrated with your life but that it is because you represent him well there's times where you're going to need to stand up I've had people before throughout our 15 years here at Brad's Fellowship that have had situations where they said you know what I just realized I need to start praying for a new job because as I'm trying to live this out this environment is very toxic to me trying to live out my Christianity here at this particular job and they start praying and God blesses them with another opportunity now, sometimes that opportunity might be less money a little bit, but it's like, am I willing to sacrifice my walk and my priority of God for a, a little bit of money? Sometimes you need to be in another place where he can bless you and help you flourish. That you might, There might be a sacrifice involved. There's going to be a conflict, in other words, involved. There's going to be times where we're going to have to be willing to step up and say, look, I realize not everybody's on board with this, but this is what I've been called to. This is what it means for me to follow my Lord. And when we do that, sometimes it's going to bring conflict. Sometimes it's going to cause people to part ways with us. I love this line. I came across this this week talking about the Christmas story that Jesus' manger at Christmas shows us that if you live like Jesus, there won't be room for you and a lot of ends. Isn't that good? it wasn't for jesus it won't be for you at times that there's going to be times where there will be conflict and when we go back and look at the environment kind of the society in which jesus was born and his followers lived this first century roman polytheistic society and that's what it was that literally almost every family had their own set of gods that they would worship in this Roman culture. Now they worship Nero as well, but they would worship lots of different gods. So in this polytheistic society, Christianity comes along, and it was seen as very suspicious, because it was so exclusive. These Christians were saying, no, 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 Jesus is the son of God. He claimed that he was gonna raise from the dead, and then he did it, we all saw it. It There's like lots of evidence, and it really happened. So they start following and worshiping Jesus not as a God, but as the God. And they were the first to say, listen, and to worship any other God is the sin of idolatry, that you don't worship him, and you 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 have to if you have anything else in the place of him or next to him, that's a sin. Can you see how holding that kind of a worldview, that kind of a faith, put them on a collision course? With in conflict with every other person in that polytheistic society? Oh my goodness! Historians explain, and this happened all the time to Christians because of their faith, they were cut out of inheritance, they were not allowed to have government jobs with the Roman government, they were cut out of some of the very best business deals in the city because they were not allowed in those relationships with the certain people that ran those deals, and that often, They were physically abused and even imprisoned because of their faith. This is a part of our story as followers of Jesus Christ. It's important for us to remember that right down to this day, that our faith in Jesus will cause, not maybe, will cause and has and is causing right now, sometimes people exclusion, and and it causes people to be... um, Uh, pushed aside and to to be overlooked because of their faith and it's going to cause conflicts and it's like jesus is saying don't think that's weird don't think it's weird because it's always been with us he promised it would be with us it's part of the sword that jesus came to bring it's part of the conflict that will happen between your heart and the world that we live in that we're in the world but not of it it is going to create a conflict. But what's beautiful is that Jesus reminds us that even in all of this, he came to bring us peace and we can still have it, even in the middle of this conflict sometimes. And in John chapter 16, verse 33, he says that I have spoken these things and he was preparing them for the cross and all that was gonna come, it's gonna be difficult, you're gonna go through hard times. He says, I've told you these things so that you may have my peace because in this world, you will have trouble. You're gonna have conflict. Jesus promised it, tribulation. You bet on it, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. You surrender to me, you follow me, and I will make sure that whatever it is that you're coming up against, it's coming up against your faith, if God is for us, who can be against us? Jesus says, that's for real. All things are possible with him who gives us strength. We can do it. Hold fast to him. Don't give up. There will be conflicts among you, but hold fast to him. Surrender to him through the process. So, Not just conflicts among us, but also conflicts within us. In Luke 2.35, going back to this last statement of Simeon, he says, And a sword will pierce your own soul too. In other words, that God's peace only comes after the conflict of uh, of repentance is resolved. God's peace, let me say it again, God's peace only comes to our heart after the conflict of repentance is settled. So when I talk about repentance, think about it like this. It's like pouring antiseptic on an open wound on your arm, right? Antiseptic does two things, doesn't it? It stings, but it heals, right? It stings, but it heals. Let's say that together. It stings, but it heals. That's what repentance does for us. That's why he compares it to a sword. It it stings, but it heals. Repentance causes us to admit things we don't want to admit. It causes us to acknowledge things in ourselves We do not want to acknowledge sin and weakness that we have, susceptibility to certain temptations. We don't want to admit because it puts us in direct conflict with our pride and our self-righteousness. We want to say, I'm not that bad. I know a lot of people that are way worse than me, God. And we want to start coming to our own defense and comparing ourselves. That's not repentance. But it's in us to try to defend, defend, and make ourselves look better. But repentance is like, God, I got no good answer other than I choose sinful things sometimes. And I, I just, I'm asking for your forgiveness. It's coming to Him. It's like finally understanding the only way to God's peace of forgiveness through Jesus is through repentance, of laying it down and saying, I'm not gonna fight with you anymore. I'm gonna gonna lay it at your feet, I'm gonna trust you. What's beautiful is that this is something that is taught and spoken about repeatedly all throughout the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul in Romans six, seven, and eight, all three of these chapters, he talks about this repeatedly, the idea that we have this old self and we have a new self inside of every believer right? And if you're considering becoming a Christian, you need to know. This is a part of that spiritual warfare that's going to happen. The conflict on the inside, the conflict within us. This old self is constantly saying, "Come on, Will. Be your own master. Call your own shots. You're a grown man. You can do whatever you want. Spend your money however you want. Spend your time however you want. Go wherever you want on the internet. Watch whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Make yourself happy." Right? Old self. That's what the old self saying. New self, the new self in Christ that desires to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit is saying the only way to true inner peace is full surrender to God, giving our whole self, all that we are, to him. All that we are, loving God with, what did Jesus say? Our heart, mind, soul, strength, everything. He wasn't trying to take away the fun. He wasn't trying to restrict us. He was trying to release us He was trying to create a breakthrough. You want to know true peace? Finally, once and for all, give yourself completely to God. You will finally come alive like you were created to be. You will finally experience who you were designed by God to be. It will not happen any other way. It will not happen any other way until we come to the place where that fight between old self and new self, and it's a showdown, It's ugly. There is going to be a street fight inside. Maybe it's going on right now. Ugly fight over and over and over. Remember this old story about grandfather talking to his grandson, explaining that inside every person there is this black dog and there is this white dog. This black dog represents sinfulness and hatred and jealousy and anger and violence. And the white dog is mercy and forgiveness and kindness, generosity, compassion. And he says, "Well, and these dogs are fighting all the time. Well, Grandpa, which one, which one is going to win?" He says, "Whichever one you feed, that's the one that wins." And there's finally needs to be a point if you want to break through with peace that you are willing, from the depths of your soul, the best that you can to express through prayer to God the same thing that Jesus said right before the cross in Matthew 26, 39. I want your will. I want your will to be done, not mine. I want your will, God, in this relationship, not mine. I want your will in this this career path, not mine. I want your will in my family with this marriage, not mine. Are you willing to do that? Because when we finally are willing to do that, that's when you break through to peace and it goes deeper than it ever has before in our lives. And I bet there's a place in your life right now where God's saying, I wish so badly you would say that to me. Your will, not mine. I'm trusting you. This scares me to death, God. I don't know how this is gonna turn out. So frustrating. It's it's unknown to me. It's uncertain. But I'm trusting you. Your will, not mine. Where is he asking you to pray that? Where is he asking you to say that right now? You see, Simeon's warning to us, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is that conflict absolutely will happen in this life. It is a part of the process to peace. And even before he said this, and at the time he said this, he didn't even know how true that was gonna be because what he is saying there, ladies and gentlemen, is echoed, it is is brought to true full color HD color in the cross of Jesus Christ think about it he brings the salvation to all the world before the nations the light to the Gentiles and the glory of the nation of Israel he does it through the cross and he does it through the cross by the agony and the brutality of falling under the sword of his father for us he's willing to do that So that he could bring peace and forgiveness And salvation to us And he was simply fulfilling What God had started All throughout the Old Testament Anytime there was atonement For the sin of the nation of Israel A substitutionary animal was brought To the tabernacle, to the temple And it came under the sword, under the knife Its blood was spilled It was a sacrificial animal And its blood was an atonement A payment for the sins of the people And when Jesus came on the scene, the first thing that we see John the Baptist, his cousin, say about him, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That Jesus became that Lamb, that sacrificial animal for us, for our sin. Jesus went under the knife or the sword of God for us. And we see that sword mirrored all throughout the Old Testament, all the way back to Genesis 3 when the original sin happened between Adam and Eve. They were cast out of Eden. And remember, they were not allowed to go back into the Eden to eat of the, the tree of fruit of good and evil because it gave them eternal life. They couldn't have eternal. They had sin now and God says no more, right? And how did he keep them from going? He put an angel and a flaming sword was put in his place for a period of time. And now we see Jesus falling under that same sword for you and I. In the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 53, verse 8, so beautiful, so powerful, where he said this, if we could read the highlighted words together, for he, he being Jesus, he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was punished was cut off this was 700 years before jesus was ever even born this was prophesied and jesus fulfilled that the sword of god came down upon him so that you and i could be free we could know his peace jesus dealt with conflict externally and internally for us It only makes sense that as his followers, there's gonna be a certain degree, not nearly to the degree he had, but just a small fraction, there's gonna be some conflict for us externally and internally, among us and within us. It's gonna happen. It's part of the walk. It's part of what draws us closer to him. It's what causes us to trust him more through really hard valley of the shadow of death kind of moments. He uses all of it to draw us closer to him. So my question for you to be really thinking about right now, where is the sword of Jesus causing you conflicts today? Maybe it's external, maybe it's internal. Maybe, God, there's some conflicts within your family that you need to deal with. You need to ask for forgiveness. You need to really begin to pray for those individuals. Maybe it's conflicts within your friendship circle. Maybe it's who you date, who you're dating right now. Maybe it's with your work, your work environment, how you represent yourself there. God's saying, let me cut away all of that which is not from me. Help me to help you to come into my peace and to begin to follow me to a level that you've been unwilling to up to this point because, frankly, you have been scared. You have been giving in to the old self. But it's time to say yes to him. Trust him. Trust him. You see, conflict and surrender is the only path to peace. Conflict and surrender, that is the only path to peace, to be able to say, yes, God, I'll go through it, and I'm gonna surrender to you. Your will, not mine. Your will, not mine. Where is he asking you to pray that right now? Where that sword, you're feeling it right now, internally, something you need to admit, acknowledge, confess, or something in your life with someone that's been scaring you, frustrating you, and you are tempted to sacrifice your Christian faith, or maybe you already have, for the sake of not offending or hurting or making uncomfortable someone else, but there is a point where you need to step up and say, no no more, no longer am I gonna do that. I'm gonna do it graciously, I'm gonna do it kind, I'm gonna do it compassionately, but I'm gonna start speaking up. I'm going to start doing the right thing. I'm going to start being a person of integrity and speaking honest truth. I'm going to stop gossiping about people. I'm going to stop hurting. I'm going to stop living for the old self, simply. Here's the prayer of application I'm asking you to pray today. It's simply this. Jesus, I surrender to you all my conflicts, both internal and external. I want the peace that comes only through letting your sword cut away that which is not from you. Where does he want to do that in your life right now? Where is he saying, please, come on, don't do this another Christmas. Don't do this another day. Trust me. Trust me. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services.